electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. On a night where the Nasdaq set its first record close in more than two years. We're coming to you live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Leaping higher, the S&P joining the Nasdaq in record close territory this extra day of February. All major markets all closing out with its fourth straight month of gains. And some stocks and sectors have really jumped past the competition. Can they keep their lead or they about to come back down to earth. Plus, the next big thing for GLP-1 already being used to fight diabetes and weight loss. Are there even more applications for these in-demand drugs? And how big can the market for them get? We've got some answers. And later, China's auto boom, why cars made by the country's manufacturers are in such high demand around the world, and what that could mean for American companies trying to compete. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with the last of the three major averages to set a record close this year. The Nasdaq making the most of this extra day in February and leaping nearly a percent. It was the first time the index closed at a record since way back in November of 2021. The S&P and Dow also ending the day higher with all three indices notching a fourth straight month of gains. But a couple of stocks in particular really caught our eyes. Sure, so much attention has been on NVIDIA this year. But take a look at AMD up 9% today, nearly 15% in February. Retail also seeing strength with Ralph Lauren seeing its best month since 1999. The single best performing stock in the S&P this month, Constellation Energy up nearly 40% for its best month on record. So as you head into March, do you stick with the stocks that have leapt ahead? Or do you look for the names that have been left behind, guys? That's what you did there. Remember the end of the Grinch? The Grinch was trying to figure out, like Christmas, it came without packages, boxes, and bags. Remember that whole thing? And he was trying to figure out why Christmas still came. And Nasdaq's doing it without Apple, we'll talk about. And I know Google rallied today, and without Google as well. So it's really impressive, the performance over the last few months, without question. Today, AMD, though, you know, you mentioned it, so I'll talk about it. You know, up $15 after the move that it's had, after the earnings release that we talked about when we were down down in Florida. Doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me, but here we are. You trade the market you have, not the one you're wishing for. So yes, I guess you stay with the winners in this environment because quite frankly, they've given you no reason to get out. Do you stick with the winners? I feel like you're going to say no. <laughs> listen, it's, a tough, I mean, it, it's just a tough call here. I'm gonna, I, listen, as an investor, I'm stuck. As a pundit, I'm a little mm-hmm. stuck here. Are you just here. Like, torn because fundamentally you believe the market doesn't deserve this multiple? Fundamentally, you believe the market shouldn't go higher and yet it still does? You, know, you guys are going to be scared about this. Fundamentally, I feel like things feel okay right now, like, like in general. You know what I mean? And, and I think about this. We're coming on the one-year anniversary of SVB, and I know we're going to talk about another regional bank. I think the thing that got everybody off sides last year, we were so convinced that we we're going to have a recession in 2023, from the best economists to the best Fed watchers to the best investors to everybody, right? Well, and then they injected all this liquidity, right, in that March sort of period away. So here we are now, and they kind of do, uh, the term values is they alchemied out that sort of business cycle 
cycle, that economic cycle. And so here we are. Things kind of feel okay. But to me, I think Guy just made a really good point. The NDX had already made a new all-time high, okay? So right now, it's up 7.5% from its previous all-time high. And you're doing it this year without Apple. You're doing it without um, uh, Tesla, okay, if you're looking at these mag sevens. You're doing it without Google, too, right? So I think it's getting more selective. I know Tim's going to talk about the broadening out here. But I don't think, and this is where I got myself in a little trouble the other night, Mm. I I think that the quality of the names that are rallying right now. That's what my mom texted me, by the way. It's it's, it's getting worse. You know what I'm saying? Good for Mrs. Nathan for calling you out. I had a little moment. Yeah. You know, sometimes we talk about things going down on the same news over and over again. And I think we're in the opposite phase right now. I'm just just looking at AMD after the Dell, which was up on, you know, in that whole frenzy of. just AI and anything related to AI, and they certainly are in that sort of peripheral circle. Uh, so now we're seeing things up again on the same news over and over. I don't know how long that lasts. To me, that it, whether it happens in March or Leap Day, whatever, it doesn't really seem to matter. I'm not going to materially change what I do, but this does feel a little bit, a little bit frothy. You did right? buy Dell. I did buy Dell today, and I, I, you know, you know, you have the wrong size position when you feel bad if it goes up or it goes down. You feel like, oh, I should have owned more. But anyway, uh, it just seemed to me like, you know, it used to be that hardware traded at a much different multiple, and Dell's multiple at 14 was seen almost to me. It's almost old school multiple, especially if you think about Apple. Where I don't even know what that the hardware software multiple is there, but. Um, and then I think this is an underpromise, overdelivered company by their own description. So semis were up. We've talked about this. They're up 10 percent and they're up 18 percent for the year. That's not the story of the month. The story of the month is is the XRT up 8 percent. Is is transports making not you know cycle high, all time highs, all time highs. Industrials. That chart is is ripping. So yes, the market is broadening. Everybody wants to look at the equal weighted S and P and say, no, oh, underperforming the S and P. I don't see it. Small caps, been lazy, slowly catching up to the party. But the broader market, and I'm talking about real sectors, GIC sectors that have been underperforming, are actually taking the lead. So, yeah, we talked about, we spent a lot of time. Biotech is, is certainly XBI up 14% this month. But to me, it really is the real economy. It's that banks, after a 30% run, have managed to make another 15% run. It's that GM uh, is now up 56% from October 26th, and there's a lot of other industrials. How many times have we talked about Caterpillar uh, and said, oh, well, this is probably it, and they had a difficult earnings period, and yet the stock shoots higher. So to me, February was the month that actually the market decided to be not just seven stocks. It's amazing how we get this all-time high in the NASDAQ on a day when the PCE or the core inflation uh, gauge that the Fed is looking at hit the lowest level since March of 21. So last time the NASDAQ was at these highs was right at the end of 21 before the Fed embarked upon an aggressive strategy. So you know, it, a lot of this has to do with benign inflation, less Fed, uh, and an economy, frankly, that's, that's not given way. That's why the real economy is outperforming. Sounds like Goldilocks guy. You didn't just say I mean, I was just such a good, it's leap year, right? I I mean, happy birthday to all you cats out there with the February (laughs) 20th. When do you celebrate? March 1st. Or you don't. You choose. Can't you get to choose? No, no, no. no, You don't choose. It's got to be the 1st of March. By four, I mean, think about how opportunistic you could be with your age with that. That's an excellent point. You could play. You could play. I don't mean you. You could play for the Mets because they mean they have trouble. I don't know why that came up. It's not even relevant. This is an energy. You mentioned constellation. This is not me pulling things out of the hat, right? You mentioned it the top of the show. We said, look at the move. This is an energy stock. They reported, I think, on the 22 days or so ago, right? Look at the move that this stock has had. And what was a good earnings release, but not ridiculously good. I mean, this stock went 
very parabolic, like a lot of these tech names. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And this is somebody, by the way, that's bullish in the space. So when you see other sectors acting like this, at least you got to say to yourself, whoa, something is a bit askew here. Yeah, one, one thing I want to take some issue. So it's one thing to talk about the stock market broadening out and the participation of retail and industrials and transports. And it's another thing to talk about where S&P 500 earnings are going to come from or where they're expected to come from. And a lot of the gains in this double digit expected S&P earnings in 2024 are expected to come from the largest market weighted companies that have driven a lot of that performance, okay? So the point is, is that if the economy does start to slip, okay, maybe those large cap tech stocks are going to be insulated for a period. There's a lot of recurring revenue and the like. But at some point, we will see the job cuts move to CapEx cuts and, and the like here, and you will see a normal business cycle come back. We've already seen it in, like, digital ads, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that was one of the canaries in the coal mine, at least from some of the earnings that we heard um, back in that Q4 earnings period. So I guess my point is you also have to focus on where the expected earnings growth is going to come from. And those groups will not save you. Retail will not save you. Energy will not save you. Some of the other ones, you know what I mean? And but so I, to me, okay. that, like, there's a big difference there. Though. I'm with you. I'll, I'll push back on that and say, we all know that in 23, when the S&P was up 26%, 17 points of that were, were all about multiple expansion. And, and this year, 65 or 70% of the 6% increase or, you know, four and a half percent is all multiple expansion. So, so we know that the earnings have to keep score, but, but, but when do they need to come in and, and play, their, play their, their cards? Or you know, when does that hand need to actually work? Because it hasn't needed to work. It hasn't needed to work for the last couple of years. I don't think that the market can go unabated up higher. But the market is certainly telling you that there was a bear market for a lot of stocks in the first half of 23, if not three quarters of 23, that are only just catching up now. And I think there's a lot of allocators out there that have recognized that. Again, look at healthcare. It's not just biotech. Look at healthcare. Look at all these big sectors, um, utilities. And I think utilities haven't really rallied. I think people are going to be looking at that. So I, I just I, I, I hear the fundamental argument, but the market to me tells me it doesn't necessarily need to respond to earnings in the short to medium term and sometimes even in the long term, because I feel like we've been doing this for a couple of years when we haven't had real earnings growth. Are we waiting for a shoe to drop with the consumer? Uh, I mean, we've been waiting for that shoe to drop for, for a while, a right? A really long happened. time. It has not happened, including like today. So um, I think, though, that retail was so oversold because it seemed like everybody was, including me, down on the consumer that they weren't going to be spending. And yet here they are still spending. So that's been a really nice rally. But it's not like those stocks are in crazy land, right? right? I mean, you look at something like Macy's, which uh, has a takeover issue now. But, you know, what's it trading at? Eight times earnings? And that's off a big rally. Right. So, I mean, that never should have been where it was, $9. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think we have a case where uh, the consumer, we got jobless claims today. We got continuing claims. There's nothing in this data that tells us that the Fed has killed the, the, the equity market. But it, it gets back to, if you think about how people were investing a year ago when we really thought the Fed was going to bite, they were going after, uh, after giving them a great rally because they knew the Fed was there like the dollar stores um, and, and even, you know, to some extent, Target. And, and I think that's where you have some more opportunities here. And, and there's, there's the big box stores and the, the places that we know have, been, have had their different secular challenges. But I, I still think that there's a lot of stuff that has not rallied and a lot of stuff that really is, if the consumer has a job and they're not falling apart credit-wise and the banks are telling us that, not so bad. All right, we've got some breaking news here on New York Community Bank shares. Dropping after hours as the bank discloses internal controls issues. Leslie Pickers got all the details. Leslie joins us on the Fast Line. What do you have, Leslie? 
Hey, Melissa. Yeah, the plot really thickening here. Those shares down more than 15 percent in after hours. There was an 8K that came out after the market closed detailing material weakness in internal controls pertaining to loan review. The company says management identified the issue, which resulted from ineffective oversight, risk assessment, and monitoring activities. And NYCB says that the assessment of internal controls is not yet complete, but a remediation plan will be disclosed in its 2023 10K. The company completed its goodwill assessment last week. It decided it needed to take an additional $2.4 billion charge to its fourth quarter earnings as well. Now, the company also announcing Alessandro Danello, known as Sandro, would be stepping into the role of CEO after having taken that executive chairman role shortly after the company's fourth quarter earnings. One director, Hanif Daya, resigned in opposition of Danello as CEO. So remember, it was those fourth quarter numbers showing several troubled commercial real estate properties uh, that initially spooked the market, began kind of the spiral that we've seen in shares. Those declines ultimately cut its share price in half and obviously continuing the descent today uh, in aftermarket trading, Melissa. All right, Leslie, thanks for the update there. Leslie Picker, again, shares are down 15%. Karen has been digging in the timing of these resignations. Very interesting because they didn't happen just today or yesterday yeah. or even the day before. Right. They happened more than a week ago. Uh, not more than the 25th. They happened on the 25th on Sunday. And I don't know if they're sort of hiding behind it that those changes don't take effect until today. To me, that's a little, what would you call it, Guy? Fugazi? Fugazi. Yeah, it's a little bit fugazi. Forget about it. So, uh, I mean, this is, for any company, this is bad. But if you are a bank, and if you are a bank that recently had a terrible chapter mm-hmm. that you were trying to get past, where you had, you, you know, you had completely mismarked or paid way too much for your assets or whatever it was, and then to come out with this. So uh, it, it makes me, you know, they don't have their 10K out yet. They have to get an audit, right, right. to get the 10K out. So um, this can't be good for so many reasons. The infighting, what's going on? I've never seen a chair of the board, I believe he's the chair. Um, no. No, he's oh, the new CEO, the one who resigned. In his letter says, I did not agree with right. naming <laughs> this guy. The new CEO. Right. But the, the CEO, the former CEO, resigned yes. on the 23rd. Oh, that happened yes. on the 23rd. I yes. thought that happened. That happened oh. on, the, on, tw- on February 23rd. Mr. Kang Jemmy notified New York Community Bank Corp of his resignation and, oh, on the 23rd of February. OK, so th- that is ridiculous that we don't know that on the 29th. <laughs> um, so clearly there it's sort of. Um, I don't know. Best case, they're being way overly conservative. That's the best case. I fear it's a different case. Well, it's also interesting because Danello, uh, Alessandro Danello was seen as actually someone that the investor community was very, very comfortable with, given the role yes. he's played in the past in other reorgs. He comes over from Flagstar Bank. Now, the, 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 the potentially interesting thing part about this is NYCB acquired Flagstar back in the end of 22. If the person who's saying absolutely not this guy feels that there was some conflict there, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that there are a lot of complications here. And this was a guy who was seen as a consensus, um, you know, someone to come in and calm the waters and actually get in there and figure out what was going on. And you know, look, he may, in fact, have uncovered a lot of good stuff at this point. Tim's a fan of Stevie Ray Vaughan, although we go back and forth. <laughs> Double Trouble. It's a great album. I mean, All his work was fantastic. I think he's a bit overrated. But anyway, Disagree. your point but was. One of his lyrics, and this is actually 
pertinent to this. Thank goodness. Money's tight, nothing's <laughs> free. Won't somebody come and rescue me? That's what's happening here. They're not going to get rescued. The flip side of that coin is, and I've said this and I believe this, the unintended consequences of zero interest rates for a long period of time, it's made places like this extraordinarily lazy, and they don't need any internal controls because there's nothing to control. So this is a fallout, I think, of all this central bank sort of largesse. And I don't think this might be the first. It's not going to be the last. I take a little bit of issue with that. I think this is idiosyncratic Might to be. them, to their purchases of assets that they either didn't know how to value or paid too much for. I don't think uh, that this will be a contagion. I think it will be contained. But, uh, I mean, maybe that allowed that environment to build. Right. I don't they think had it's, a lot of time to check, to check it, right? I don't think they will be a contagion. I think it's, though, endemic of maybe a lot of these. Like, there are other banks right now scrambling, saying, what, what do we have? What should we be looking at? I, I just think that's inevitable. But I, all right, so I'll take a little issue with your taking okay. issue. Not because Does I don't. Does that mean then you, so but no, I don't no, know that he's right, me. I don't know he's right. Uh, and, okay, and, please. And I, yeah. Well, I, you know, my view is that near Community Bank is somewhat unique. Yes, idiosyncratic, because once they went over 100 billion, um, the bright light of regulation and different regulation and more regulation is on top of them. So when you see that, so that is idiosyncratic. And they were forced to come in and buy some banks and people thought, hey, they were sweetheart assets, especially they around, weren't forced to. around signature. They chose okay. to. <laughs> but but the, the point is that they are under a level of scrutiny that I think other okay. regionals are not right now. And that's no. not good because that level of scrutiny, I think, gets back to guys largesse. I'm not saying you have largesse. I'm saying that you so refer to other material, other problems at other regional banks that may be smaller that don't yes. meet that threshold, okay. maybe being papered over at this point, I, I, are not seen absolutely. because it doesn't apply to them. Even though I think they've got very idiosyncratic issues going on here, but it gets back to haven't we thought that regional banks were in a lot of trouble based upon CRE and dynamics that I think we all know are coming. Um, so I think this is fascinating. Uh, the stock is down 17-plus mm. percent. We'll keep you posted as the developments come in. Coming up, Apple shares clinging on to a key level, but can the stock hold on? The chartmaster Carter Braxton Worth will join us with the technical take on this tech titan. But first, China putting the pedal to the metal in the global auto space, where they are seeing booming sales south of the equator. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee, right here on CNBC. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. China's revving up its auto exports with Chinese companies gaining popularity around the globe. Sales are up in Europe, Mexico and South America. But what is making companies like BYD and GWM so appealing overseas? Our Phil Lebeau joins us now from Santiago, Chile, to take a look under the hood. Hi, Phil. Hey, Melissa, I'm going to show you a couple of charts here, which speaks to what's happened in China and what we're seeing around the world when it comes to Chinese automakers. First of all, exports, auto exports from China have exploded over the last couple of years, up 62 percent last year, topping five million vehicles, number one in the world moving past Japan. And by the way, 71 percent of the vehicles exported are internal combustion engine vehicles, 29 percent electric vehicles. Why the change by China? a pivot due to the slowing market in that country. What's changed is that Chinese cars up until now have been happy to stay at home and make growth and profits in their own market. But Chinese domestic economy is slowed. There's overcapacity at home, price wars. So all Chinese makers are gearing up at the same time saying, in search of, we need to find new markets globally and they're going everywhere. One of those markets is Chile. In fact, if you drive around Chile, you'll see a lot of Chinese autos. We went to an auto mall, actually a mall with all these different brands, not just Chinese, but you saw the American brands there, GM and Chevy, you saw Toyota, Hyundai, Kia there. The price difference is the big difference here. They're about 20% lower than comparable models. What does that mean? Here's a good example. Great Wall's Havel Jolien which is a crossover utility vehicle. Look at the price, just over $18,000. A comparable vehicle, a base model Toyota Corolla Cross, $6,000 more. And when we talked with customers, almost all of them said the same thing. I like the fit and finish, I like the quality, and I like the price. Because of the performance, and it's very cheap in comparison to other brands, so that's why I prefer this Chinese brand. So you would buy Chinese again? Yes, yes, I definitely prefer a Chinese car. I've traveled 500 kilometers, a lot of traveling, and it's very safe. I have had a very good experience with Chinese cars. In fact, spare parts you can find anywhere. Take a look at BYD versus General Motors versus Toyota over the last couple of years. And what you notice here is Toyota, obviously, because of What's happened with hybrid sales, not only in the U.S., but around the world, uh, has moved ahead substantially. The interesting thing when you look at South America is that it's not just here. It's happening in Israel. It's happening in Australia. Happening in a lot of different markets around the world. Individually, Chile is not a big market. But you add all of these smaller markets together, Melissa, and what you have are growing sales for Chinese vehicles because of the price advantage and because they need to export them. They need to keep those assembly lines running in China. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they are finding markets like Chile where buyers are willing to say, yeah, I'll buy a Chinese-made vehicle. Is the tariff situation much more favorable ex-United States for these vehicles, Phil? Yes, absolutely. There's no manufacturer here, so there's no tariff. Everybody, you know, to a certain extent, anybody can ship in here. It's just a matter of what price can you sell at. And as we showed you, China has a definite cost advantage. And then is there a differentiation here between strict EVs and hybrid EVs in terms of popularity as we're seeing play out in the United States in terms of growth? It's a, it's a very small market when it comes to pure electric vehicles. Here in Chile, it's just beginning. 
We went and talked with uh, the folks who run BYD. They just came in here last year. Tesla has just opened up its first South American store here in Santiago. So it's just beginning. Most of the vehicles that are sold here are internal combustion engine vehicles. Got it. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau joining us from Santiago. All right, so not good news for GM or Ford here. Not good news. I think worse news for Tesla, uh, because if you think about where BYD is going after them, they're going after them, I, I think, certainly in the hybrids and, and some EV. Obviously, the growth in BYD is so extraordinary. It's across you know, internal combustion, hybrid and EV. But as we get into the trade barriers that Elon Musk is asking that we impose upon China, those that actually keep BYD out of the U.S. left over from the Trump era, um, I think in BYD at this point only sells buses in the U.S. Um, maybe that will soon be outlawed, too. But yeah, but the, let's make clear. It's not just Elon Musk asking for the trade barriers. I mean, the Biden administration is now saying we got to look at this because it could be a national security threat. There's no question. And China has built twice as much capacity as the market needs in terms of demand. And they can do it cheap and they're going to flood the market. It and they're doing it. And it sounds really bad for Tesla, who's loved China as a market. Quickly, if we think there's, and this is second derivative stuff, mm. thank you, Guy. If they view East Chile as an opportunity, then look at ECH, which has not bounced mm. now over the last EM few play. years. A little EM play. Nice. Heavy industrials, heavy financials. But if people view that as an opportunity area, by definition, they have to see growth there. So maybe ECH is oh. the play. Nice like poll on the there. ETF That's like there. third derivative. Right. Second, third, whatever uh, it takes. Coming up, some after-hours action to bring you. HP Enterprise, Dell, SoundHound, all moving after reporting results. The details from the quarters ahead, plus some tech titan technicals. The Chartmaster will join us to tell us where Apple is headed next as the stock clings to a key level. Fast Money's back in two. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks jumping to close out February on Leap Day. The S&P and Nasdaq closing at record highs. The Nasdaq jumping nearly 1%. The S&P up half a percent and the Dow climbing 47. Some earnings action and a few names. Hewlett Packard Enterprise dropping after a revenue miss, as well as disappointing guidance. Share of, shares of Dell Technologies surging on a top and a bottom line beat. The company also increasing its dividend by 20%. And Voice AI Sound Company, SoundHound, which has seen a massive surge recently after an investment from NVIDIA, also reported shares are lower in extended hours after a top and bottom line miss. Well, since its all-time high last December, Apple has been underperforming the S&P 500 by more than 15 percent. So could the so-called benchmark stock be signaling the market is teetering toward a downturn as well? Let's go to the chart master to find out where the stock and major averages are going from here. Hi, Carter. Hi there. Well, you know, there's an expression in the southern United States, this dog won't hunt. And that's the circumstance with Apple. Apple closed out 2021 at essentially 180 a share. And here we are in the first quarter of 2024, and it's 180 a share. And so while that's not so bad, it's all about alpha, which is relative performance. And you've had such shocking relative poor performance to the tech sector that one has to wonder, why be overweight? Uh, I would be underweight. But let's look at a chart or two. I think we have two. Um, 
And the first is a ratio chart. So what this simply depicts is one thing divided by another, in this case, Apple divided by the S&P 500 technology sector, which gives you a relative strength line. And Apple's relative performance to the sector, as you can see, peaked in the third quarter of 2022. And since then, it's just been in free fall. And I don't see really what changes that. In terms of the chart itself, second of two, uh, if we look at Apple, we're just starting to break trend here. We have something of a double top. Uh, I think 160 is probably where it belongs. 160 is where it belongs. And if it breaks through that, then what's the next support level? Well, I guess lower. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Um, Dan, we've highlighted Apple several times as the underperformer here in the MAG7. I think this goes back a little bit to what Tim was talking about, multiple expansion last year, right? So here's a stock that, you know, has underperformed the S&P 500, trades at a massive uh, premium to the S&P 500 at 27 times, expected to grow uh, earnings, let's call it mid to high single digits this year, and low single digits, 2%, you know, revenue growth. It's just like, so you tell me a good reason why they've been left out. There is no generative AI play here yet, and, and so people aren't actually lagging into it for that right now. Uh, you know what I mean? So to me, it seems like a kind of a stuck story. And then there's obviously, I think it was going around today a little bit about iPhone 15 not doing particularly well um, in China, heavy discounting. That's an important market, 20% of the revenue. So again, it, you know, I don't really, there's no compelling reason to buy it right now. Certainly not on valuation. Yeah. I mean, maybe June though, maybe the developers yeah. conference will have some sort of generative AI. I mean, Google went ahead with its offering and look where it got you know, well, I think Apple's going to be very careful. Right, exactly. I think, like, I think for it them makes to them more push careful. anything out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. This is my smallest position in the MAG-7 by mm -hmm. a lot. I only keep it around to focus on it. But um, all the reasons that you said. I mean, we've seen, you know, you can tell a very different story for NVIDIA, even Alphabet and Meta, of course, a very different story there. An evaluation that's much more attractive. So I'm with Dan on this one. Wow. First of all, last night, you know, I caught the show. I, you know, I watched him. I'm, I'm in the only Dan seat last night, I think, right here, yeah. because Suzuki, Dan Suzuki was right. here. You guys were just all ripping me a new one. No, no. I, I, oh, I heard no, it. Dan, no, Dan got a nickname given to him by Guy. Yeah, yeah. handsome Dan. <laughs> as opposed to Dan. No, no, as, as opposed, opposed to this Dan. Dan. As opposed yeah, to I see what's going on here. That's fine. Good yeah, yeah, whatever. Insult. We've all known <laughs> each other for so long. Coming up, sizing up the competition. The weight loss drug wars are heating up, and so are the compounded copycats. How unapproved versions of the drugs are impacting those taking them. NBC News medical contributor Dr. Kavita Patel will join us next to lay out the risks and everything surrounding obesity drug development. Fast Money's back in two. Instead of a preloaded pen, compounded semaglutide typically comes in a vial, and patients like Kelly load the syringes themselves. I was just told to sanitize the top of it each time and use a sterile syringe. And this is where I have to psych myself up, and we're in. We interviewed a young woman who uses compounded semaglutide from a telehealth service, and she was told to keep the vial in her fridge and just wipe the top off of the vial with an alcohol swab and put it back in the fridge after use. Is that safe? Well, look, one of the challenges associated with these compounded versions is in most cases they don't have preservatives in them. And when you're going in and out of the vial with a needle, uh, you have the potential to introduce bacteria into that vial. And that could be something that can introduce a lot of risk into that setting. I think asking the patient to wipe it down with an alcohol swab is the bare minimum that you can do. But concerns about these custom compounds go beyond bacteria. 
semaglutide is manufactured exclusively by Novo Nordisk and terzepatide by Eli Lilly. So where are compounding pharmacies getting these active ingredients? The big issues with obtaining compounded semaglutide or terzepatide, the GLP-1 agonists, is I don't know where these molecules are coming from. I don't know how pure they are, what else is being uh, added. I have more questions right now than I have answers. That was a look at my documentary, Big Shot, The Ozempic Revolution, which premieres tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time on CNBC. As a business of FDA-approved weight loss drugs booms, so does the business of copying them. The problem with these unapproved so-called compounded versions, you don't know what you're getting for, uh, what you're getting here. Let's bring in Dr. Kavita Patel, who's, a, who's an MSNBC contributor here and NBC News medical contributor, I should say, and former White House policy director. Kavita, great to have you with us. You know, this this problem has arisen because there are shortages, because the brand name drugs are so expensive. Um, there's questions about access in terms of insurance uh, and whether or not insurance companies will actually cover these drugs. When you anticipate these sort of factors to, to abate? Well, I think it's going to be a while because, look, there is really no reason to have the major manufacturers, in this case, Novo, Lilly. And then remember, there are others that are in the pipeline, some 15 trials going on right now that use some form of semaglutide or other kind of GLP-1 agonists. So there's no reason until we have enough sufficient supply to kind of think about curbing the cost in such a manner, Melissa, that you could see this put on as a benefit use. I do think we're all looking for whether Medicare adds this to their panel of drugs that they cover, because once Medicare goes this way, so potentially would Medicaid and many of the commercial insurers. Until then, it's an incredibly high barrier. That's not stopping the market from responding as they should to something that does seem like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of generation-changing drug, which this class represents. You mentioned a lot of the competitors, and there are actually about seven, 70 different compounds being examined right now. And we were just talking right. about Viking Therapeutics the other day, which tripled in value based on uh, a readout of results, which showed efficacy and, and adverse events similar to the drugs that are currently on the market. I'm just wondering, from your standpoint, what are the drugs that you think actually will break through, which will be the targets of a big pharma company to scoop up and acquire? I mean, I know that there are a lot of companies, for instance, developing a combination weight loss pill plus a compound which will actually help you gain muscle mass, which is one of the biggest complaints uh, on these medications. Yeah, look, when you lose fat or when you lose all the pounds that have been kind of documented in these studies, you're also losing muscle, you're losing muscle mass, in some cases, bone and ligament mass as well. So as you age, just on a standard aging process, you lose about a half a pound of that mass each year. And if you compound that with losing an accelerated amount, Melissa, that adds up to an incredibly, what we call sarcopenia, an incredibly dangerous environment for your metabolism that could in the long run be destructive. So you mentioned Versanis, there's Regeneron. Lilly has acquired also a company that has a drug that helps to stop this muscle mass, Bima. And so we're looking at these joint trials, not shocking, much like with what we do with other diabetic drugs, where we use several of them in conjunction with each other, because one will protect the kidneys while the other protects your glucose levels. I think that's exactly what we're going to see unfold. That, however, kind of compounds, no pun intended, the cost problem. So I do think that some of these smaller kind of target molecule companies 
need to be attached, unfortunately or fortunately for the stockholders, they need to be attached to kind of a strategic pharma with savvy. I mean, what Lilly is doing is making, in essence, a technology play. They're creating a platform and they're trying to see which drugs come in combination for which indications. Remember, we've talked before about mental health indications, some of these other things that are being studied, coronary artery disease. So if you make the analogy to any sort of software development, they're trying to do various combinations. That's the kind of partner it's going to take is strategic for some of the smaller companies. That's not stopping the valuation on those smaller companies, which, of course, then is, speaks to the price that they might put this at in a commercial setting. Dr. Patel, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. As you talk about this dynamic um, with Lilly and the platform, it's interesting because it's what we talk about even with NVIDIA and their dominance in AI. (laughs) No, not your space, but part of what they're doing is building an entire platform around their chips. But back to Viking, who sounds like you think can't do it alone because they just, you know, they they can't compete because they can't do it without significant R&D. But your notes say someone savvy might come in and buy them. Sounds like you think um, they should be taken out. It sounds like you think, based upon your (laughs) oversight of the Sector, you think <laughs> Pfizer should go in there and buy them? Curious. I do. Yes, I think I think that you've got very savvy pharma partners like like Pfizer. This could be a nice setup for GSK. Look at some of the larger kind of pharma that have compounds potentially in the pipeline, but this gives them kind of an immediate jump up into the into the increment into this space of GLP-1s, and also allows for them to develop what they do very well. And I think the analogy to NVIDIA is entirely apt because that's exactly what we're talking about. And then when you add into that, Tim, kind of drug discovery in general, there aren't that many routes to take if you're a large pharma that you don't want to take as much of a bet on. Why not take that with a Viking, which I think is an incredible stock. This is an incredible time where they're raising a financing, and I think it'll be very competitive. It'll be interesting to see who comes out, not just from the financing, but who might be an acquirer. Dr. Patel, it's always a pleasure to to see you. Dr. Kavita Patel, NBC News medical uh, contributor. And now M&A banker. I know, I I love that. Very, very informed doctors. Very informed doctor, though. I mean, Viking was down a lot today after a crazy run. And the offering details. Right. Why would you sell stock at 85 if you were going to sell? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe you do it because we need need to show that we can absolutely make it to, you know, past phase three on our own. Uh But I would doubt they were in talks right now. If oh, and right. sell that stock. at 85. Yeah. That's a good point as well. Um, we, we should also not assume that the larger, you know, an, an NVO, Novo Nordisk and Lilly are standing still. Dr. Patel mentioned Versanis, which is a subsidiary of Eli Lilly, which is studying the compounded, you know, the compound version, compound meaning together, weight loss drug plus muscle development drug to combat muscle uh, loss. But also Novo just today is talking about a, a vaccine approach to these injections. So developing a molecule where you could just inject yearly and how that would change the game potentially and open the door for, the, for more people. For the building back muscle mass or the whole no, thing? For the whole thing, for the weight loss drug itself. Wow. Another version <laughs> of semaglutide, which would be a different molecule, which would allow a yearly injection. You know what? I want so to go watch that documentary. <laughs> I mean, this is well informed. Well, well, that's going to be yeah. the tease into the commercial. So oh, I'm ju- sorry. You jumped it. There but it there is. is. There's your answer. <laughs> I mean, once again, you know, by the way, you had such an amazing question. Your right. line of question. I mean, you should have just dropped the question. mic right there. And what a great answer she had, though. What a great answer. Going in the right direction. I know. I love that answer. She was fantastic. 
the big shot. Yes, <laughs> revolution tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific time right here on CNBC. Coming up, a chemical conundrum. Kimor is plunging after delaying earnings and placing not one, not two, but three top execs on leave. We will dive into the stock's worst day ever next. Plus, smoking hot, hot earnings. We go live with the True Leaf CEO, Kim Rivers, to break down the cannabis company's quarter and its big plans for an election year with pharma on the ballot. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Kim Moore shares falling more than 30% today, their worst day ever after the chemicals company placed its CEO, CFO, and principal accounting officer on leave. The move coming as the company launches an internal investigation into material weaknesses in its financial reporting. Shares were briefly halted for volatility earlier today, falling more than 47%. At one point, so it did recoup some of those losses. Um, this is, I mean, when the CEO leaves, that's terrible. But when three guys leave, yeah, that's even worse. Uh, it, it's a no touch. You can't possibly get your arms around the problem if we can't know how bad it is. No touch. We're seeing more and more. That, again, it goes back to what it, I th- again for the last time. I think corporate America got really lazy in a zero interest rate environment, and I do think stories like this are sort of the aftermath of what we saw for a decade or so. Coming up, cannabis state of mind. True Leaf CEO Kim Rivers is joining us next. She'll react to the company's latest quarter and what the company's watching on the marijuana regulation front. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of True Leaf seeing a late day sell off and ending the day in the red despite reporting a revenue beat this morning. The marijuana operator saying it is seeing signs of a strong consumer. The stock is up about 85 percent this year. For more, let's bring in True Leaf founder and CEO Kim Rivers. Kim, great to see you. Uh, great to see you as well. First, I want to see what I want to talk about what you saw in the quarter. And I thought this was interesting that you saw spending accelerate going into the end of the year. You saw baskets go higher. Are you seeing that trend continue? Do you think it will continue? Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw some strength through holiday, which was, uh, you know, interesting and to your to your point, positive. Um, I think it's a little too early to call a trend. Um, we are going to be really watching March for us to see how consumers respond to additional uh, tax refund dollars that they may be getting into their into their wallets. Uh, but we did see uh, strong consumer trends in uh, in the back in the back part of the year, specifically in December, um, with consumers responding more favorably towards promotional activity, uh, basket building style promotions, which we have seen in a little while. And uh, yeah, we're hoping that that momentum will continue through uh, through 2024. You also cited in your uh, earnings call um, express pickup, which I thought was really interesting. And how, yeah. uh, you know, popular do you think this will be in terms of a format? I mean, it requires less manpower, obviously less labor costs. Uh, and it's just a yeah. lot more convenient, I would think, for the consumer. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, as, again, um, folks and consumers, uh, particularly in our core states, become more familiar with our portfolio and our menu of products, um, we think, you know, Express Pickup is a natural evolution of that consumer behavior. Uh, We launched our first store um, in our home state of Florida in in Q4 uh, to had outstanding results, actually outperformed our internal metrics. To your point, it's a more efficient footprint, smaller, smaller footprint, um, you know, less expensive build for us and really great returns. So uh, we certainly are going to continue to flex in to that model, particularly in our infill stores and in some some markets that maybe wouldn't support a full-service store, but certainly can support an express-type model. 
uh, disclosure, True Leaves, a big position in my cannabis ETF, CNBS. Kim, great numbers today, but I, I guess I have to go straight to an announcement that I think folks in the cannabis industry thought was extraordinary, which is that you announced $113 million in tax refunds um, ahead of a dynamic that those of us in the industry are, are certainly expecting a rescheduling, which would remove a punitive 280E tax dynamic for the industry. But it sounds like you're ahead of that. And I know there's probably elements of this you can't talk about. But how much of this is, is really 280E related? How much of this is accounting related? My guess is you play it very conservative at truly in terms of the taxes you do pay. Give us more insight, because frankly, I, I thought this was game changing news. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we uh, took a, a very specific tax position that we announced in uh, in Q3, uh, where we uh, submitted to the IRS, IRS refund claims for the years 19, 20, and 21. Um, since those claims, we have actually received two uh, checks from the IRS totaling, to, to your point, Tim, $113 million. I think it is important to know we also did receive a single rejection letter in the amount of about $1.1 million. So it's still uncertain in terms of where this is going to land. Um, we do believe that we've got a strong case that's challenging the applicability of 280E as it relates to True Leave um, for a variety of reasons. Um, to your point, you know, we believe that this could end up in litigation. So we're, we are being careful in terms of what we what we uh, publicly um, announce in, in terms of strategic positioning. But uh, it was certainly um, encouraging to receive those checks. And I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to a complete resolution uh, on that. But to your point, you know, in the backdrop, we, of course, have the, the greater the bigger conversation around rescheduling, moving cannabis from one to three, which we certainly also believe is is coming. And just to put it in perspective for folks at home, 280E, which is a specific tax burden that the cannabis companies pay, um, effectively cost us about $350 million um, in the last three years. So it's significant dollars that are on the table here. And uh, and again, we are aggressively, aggressively finding its applicability. Kim, it's also always great to uh, speak with you at the uh, yeah. end of the quarter. Kim Rivers. Thanks so much. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, this is not particularly a view on M&A because I owned it before these conversations. But Tim's Pfizer, uh, the valuation <laughs> makes sense to me. It's yours. You uh, it's Pfizer. mine, too. Yes, I'll, I'll own it. Right. You know what? I don't know if I got my final trade in fast enough. It was either. No. Oh, it's okay. It's don't buy NYCB. It's going to be down tomorrow, but still, this is ugly. It's going to get worse. Dan. Hey, shout out to probably the biggest Fast Money fan out there. My dad. It's uh, all right. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thank you. Um, and then Snap. I'd buy that with a 10 stop to the downside. 10 stop. Guys. 10 o'clock tonight, people. Eastern time. Big shot. And Pacific time. And Pacific, and Pacific. time. Check it out. Big I shot. Uh, CLF Milms. Thank you for watching Fast. Please watch the big shot. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right here. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, 
and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.